Now, one idea takes about three years, three years to actually come to fruition and make its mark. So I started to break down the years of our company and say, wait a second, 42-year-old company divided by three, that's like a 14-year-old person. Welcome to another episode of Everyday Leadership, where today I have the absolute pleasure of having a conversation with the award-winning co-owner, executive vice president, and global CFO at Worldwide Oldfield. It's a massive organization that's in, I think, like 11 countries, like 3,000 plus employees. And my guest, Rainy, also does a lot more than that. But we're going to get into that because she's a very, very busy woman. She's also a soon-to-be author of The Seven Letters to My Daughter. I've read some extracts from that book, and I must admit, I'm fascinated to read the whole thing. (laughs) So I am waiting for that. But Rainy, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, Shobi. Thank you so much for having me today. It's an absolute pleasure. I love listening to leaders share their story around where they came from to who they are now and even how they're looking at the future. And I'm going to start somewhere slightly differently because you're someone who does a lot of interviews, whether that's podcasts, media, articles, whatever. And I'm sure you get that bio I just kind of read out. How do you define yourself when you like to introduce yourself? What is it for you that's important? Oh, well, very good question, by the way. (laughs) The way I see myself is, uh, first of all, I'm a continuously evolving human being which means who I see myself as today will probably be different tomorrow and the next year, right? But if there is a core fundamental that thread every day for me and every year for me, that would be love. And I know from a corporate standpoint, people don't talk about love. They're like, oh my God, what are you talking about? Honestly, it's that notion and absolute understanding of love, which is unconditional acceptance, acknowledgement of people, respecting people, Knowing that we, each person has been given a purpose and to love ourselves to find that purpose. And that purpose has to be beyond just ourselves, which is to understand other people, which is again, love to understand other people, which goes back to empathy. So for me, that core fundamental again is love and it shows up in the way I live my life. I do wear quite a number of hats, but if I had to boil it down into three hats, then it would be, yes, I am the uh, EVP, incoming CEO for Worldwide Oracle Machine. It is a multinational oil and gas engineering and manufacturing company. Second hat would be just as a chair of our foundation, which is really educating underprivileged children, under-resourced children, not just in India where we own and operate our school, but also within the greater parts of Houston, everywhere that I go within our 11 locations. For a while, I'm also connected to their high schools and I just go in, I give them a motivational speech, give them some sort of ray of hope that's sort of that love component, right? To let them know that even though they may not hear it often, that I'm coming into them, not knowing them, but just to know that there's someone out there in the world that believes in you and loves you unconditionally and has faith that you will be your best person. So that's kind of the second half that I wear. And the third hat, as you mentioned, I... I'm an author. I'm very, I'm really excited, looking forward to how people are going to read the book and, and learn the lessons. And my hope is that Seven Letters to My Daughters were really inspired by my daughters, but it's not just for daughters, right? It's for the 
daughters and sons, like all people of the world. My hope is that the lessons that I'm sharing with people, that they may relate to them and learn from them so that they don't have to go through that same heartache and pain and suffering. Maybe they can find that sort of quick fix or quick resolution in their own lives to keep moving that needle forward to their own lives. So that's the purpose of it. But uh, yeah, if I, had to, if I had to bring it all in, that's what I would say. Wow. I love the uh, ever-evolving person and the different, in the way you describe it, captures how multifaceted we are as people and how very, very easily we can easily just attach ourselves to one, one space, one identity, one thing. And we limit ourselves from the different elements that we can actually draw from and we bring in. And when you talk about love, you have to correct love and leadership, love in business. Those aren't words that <laughs> don't go well together at all. There's not something that's talked about a lot. So where did that develop for you? How did that, where did that come from? I would say it comes from my spiritual search. I've always been in search of what's that higher power? What's the meaning of life? Why are we doing what we do? You know, why do I want to keep busy or, or have some sense of why I'm living? The whole why really took me on a big spiritual search. And at the end of the day, I'm a big God girl. And at the end of the day, what I realize is anything that makes sense today for me, again, goes back to love. Why is this? There were so many lives that came before me. And I know that my life is a very short-lived span in, in relation to like the you know, thousands and millions of years that this planet has been in existence. So with that notion also, I know that there will be so many lives ahead of me. Now, I'm not going to take this wealth and the fame and, you know, these awards and stuff with me. I never will, you know, when I pass away. But what will remain is that notion of hope, something that I've been able to touch someone's heart, been able to give them that ray of clarity, of purpose for them to find their own purpose. And that stems from love. I cannot do it from a place of, oh, I have an agenda. Oh, I want you to do something or even fulfilling my desires through you. No, love is one way. And I say this all the time. Love is one way, which means that if I am able to share my, my knowledge, my talent, my, my unconditional acceptance of who you are, that's just going to keep flowing. It's going to keep going forward and forward, which means that it doesn't necessarily, the love back to me does not necessarily come back from this old person or the situation or whatever to have you. Love is energy. It's not created. It's not, it's not destroyed. It's just transformed from one to the next to the next to the next. So eventually I know that I will get it back. And when I send it, my life is blessed. It's unbelievable the number of people and the number of situations and opportunities that have come to me without me looking for it. And for me, that's love coming right back in a multitude. Right back. These people don't even know that they've affected my life and impacted my lives. And when I know that power that it has given me, my only job is to give it back. So that's where that whole thing. So that whole spiritual search and the sort of practicalities of how we live today, that one word keeps coming back. And with love, because I was always looking for that, what does that power mean of love? It comes back to me being authentic. For me, love is being authentic. Authentic. I don't come up to compare, to compete, to show off. To prove a point, nothing. I'm just showing up as me and that's my power and my power resides in love. Hearing love for you is authentic. For me, it's, it really resonates, actually. 
Because like I said, real love is not about showing up. Real love is about caring. And for you to operate from that space, you need to operate in space of, I'm not doing this to get something back. I'm doing this because I care about you. I'm doing this because I'm just being real. And it has to flow. People can tell the difference between forced love and real love, just like they can tell the difference between those who are actors and those who are authentic with their actions. It's two completely different things. And there's something you mentioned around the being able to see yourself in, I forgot the exact phrase you used. I think it was basically what, like, uncompromising in a way and accepting yourself, complete, uh, complete accepting yourself. Yes. That phrase for me is like, ooh, that's an interesting one because that's one of the hardest things for people to do is to completely accept who they are, what they're about, both the highs, the lows, the failures, especially in a society where society is telling you different things. So how do you get to acceptance? How do I get to acceptance? It's to know that I'm not always going to know. Number one, it's that humility factor, right? So the, the moment I know that I'm not going to know everything, then I accept my mistakes. I accept my opportunities to learn. I accept the places where there's definitely room for improvement because I know that I have not been my authentic self, which means that I'm operating from an, from an area of fear or trying to prove myself. So I've got to be very aware. So the acceptance is being aware of, again, like I mentioned, that I don't know everything. I am continuously evolving. And just the way I'm evolving, everybody around me is evolving too. So that's, that's where the acceptance comes from. And also, I'll tell you one thing. So my life has not always been where, oh, I've accepted, you know, who I am. I've never even really knew who I was because as you'll read in the book and, you know, we can talk more, people around the world, they impose their own views upon and it's hard to understand in the middle of all of that. Well, are you this? Are you that? Are you Indian? Are you American? Are you what? Where are you? Are you a mother? Are you what? Who are you? And in the midst of all that uncertainty, how do you accept who you are? Well, first of all, you need to try and find who you are. And I think the way to find who you are is to see where in your life are you making choices? Or are the choices being made for you? That's a huge distinction of me being able to understand and accept who I am. If I realize that some choices are being made for me, like, well, I think you're going to be a good engineer. Maybe you want to go this way. Or maybe you shouldn't really take that opportunity because of whatever X, Y, Z. And then I'm just going to kind of go with the flow because someone says that and not really think about it myself. I'm not really accepting who I am. I'm just kind of going with it. But if I make a choice consciously to say, all right, I weighed the pros and cons and this is what I want to do and this is how I want to show up. I have made a choice that I'm accepting who I am. But I have to be very aware of whether I'm making that choice for me and for others or whether that choice is being imposed on me. I'm going to go back to the younger version of you. When you moved to India when you were 19 and you were studying, I think, classical violinist and you created... A classical vocal. A vo sorry, vocalist, sorry. And you created the mentoring program, the leadership mentor program that you did out there. You created the, the dance studio. When you think about growing up in the States, then moving to India at that very young age, and you talk about the choices of being the choice, having a choice to make in, in life. Did you feel like you had a choice at that point in time? And were those choices that you were intentional about making, or were those choices that were put on you that have kind of evolved over time to help you to start to think what you're thinking now? I think you hit the nail on its head, actually. No, I did not have a choice 
at 19. I did not. I had to kind of go with what was given to me under the circumstances that were available to me. And I really was not empowered to be given a choice. No one actually said, hey, well, what do you think? No. It was just, this is what we think. This is what you're going to go at. This is what you're going to be safe. You're going to be fine. Just go with it. No. After my daughter turned two years old and started going to school, and that's when the whole life kind of you know, began to shift for me as well. And I saw these girls when I went to this all-girls school and uh, just happened to be able to volunteer as a dance teacher because I just wanted to be close to my daughter. Uh, the first thing that I realized that all these girls in India, like age between 9 and 14, young, young minds, they had no expression. They had nothing to say. So I realized I saw myself in them. That none of these girls have a choice. How are they going to find themselves? How are they going to accept who they are? How are they going to be empowered to truly be that God-given purpose that they have been, that they've been given this birth about? And that's when I gave them what I didn't get, which is the ability or just a safe place to express themselves. Just express yourself. What do you like? What do you not like? What do you choose? What do you not choose? What are you compromising about? What are you jesting about? It's so important to express. So when I was at that phase of my life, as I kept telling these girls, find yourself, be brave enough, bold enough, courageous enough to stand up for who you are and you can do it respectfully. And that's why I use dance as my primary medium, even at that point. I mean, I ran a dance school for 14 years. But in a place like India, especially, verbal communication is not considered as respectful. So use dance. It's nonverbal. You're not imposing. You're not threatening. You're not, you know, disrespecting your elders. Just moving. And you're doing it to understand who you are and accept who you are. So that movement itself became so powerful. I didn't even realize what I was doing at the time. All I knew was I was giving them something that I didn't have. But so that was the big shift for me. And then eventually, yes, I was able to make that choice and to move on. I never even thought about using dance as a way to to communicate those things you to find yourself it never actually even occurred to me because actually that was how i was thinking <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about in society exactly what you said around respect even you creating that school i'm sure it wasn't the easiest thing to do because you are your woman in in the indian culture creating something like that you'd have had to navigate a number of difficulties and i'm sure a lot of people like what are you doing why are you doing that for and all those different things coming up and you were still young yourself. So how did you manage to overcome all of that and create the dance school for the girls to then instill that confidence in them for what you didn't have? Oh, my goodness. So, yes, I was pretty young. I was only 24 when I started the school. Gosh, you know, it's what I call right foot, left foot. You do what you know at that point. And I had no idea that the dance school was going to explode the way it did and have all these, you know, foreign exchange programs, yada, yada, never knew. So I literally took that one step at a time. What do I know today? How can I give up, give my best today? How can I show up as my best today and keep moving forward? The passion definitely was give what I did not get. I knew the pain and the suffering and where my life was because I did not get that ability to choose and express. I knew the pain. And that was something I was so passionate about. I did not want people around me to feel that and feel that suffocation and feel like you're just being shortchanged because someone else is telling you how to live and what to do. And you can still find yourself. 
So it was that passion that really drove me. So whether it was someone said, well, why do you have to work? Why do you have to do this? You've got kids, you've got this. I said, look, as long as I manage the husband, the kids, the family, the social circle, I can still do this because that's what my passion is. So that's what used to wake me up in the morning. And when something wakes you up in the morning with that drive and that sort of spark in your eyes, you know that's your calling. And when you have that calling, at least for me, it's unstoppable. I always say that there's always a way. It doesn't mean that we know the way. I didn't know the way, but there is always a way. You can look for it. You know, we always, we always hear this, that if you seek the truth, the truth will find you. That's literally what happens. Right foot, left foot. Just keep walking. Our only job is to show up. Make that choice. Because it's made the choice. Yeah, that's that's the key, isn't it? It's, you you made that choice, and you because you had obstacles in your way. You're like, well, I'll hold down the family, I'll do all that kind of stuff that I need you need me to do, but I will keep on doing this as long as that's not interrupted. There's no reason why I can't keep on doing this. And even what you just said right now, not having everything else figured out, I think so many times that's that is what keeps people stuck. It's I need to have this one done, this one done. Like, no, you. Have, one foot from the other one and moving forward with that passion driving you, you can actually reveal a lot that we don't know. And you know, people are always asking me these questions like, so what is freedom? Because that's been my search the entire, my entire life, right? Like, what is freedom? Like, you know, we put so much burden on this word called freedom, where freedom is supposed to be free. So what I realized is that when we live, when we live fully, we are free. That people are like, what do you mean when we live fully? And so when you live fully means that every day you are choosing. The minute you wake up, the minute you wake up, you choose whether you want to open your eyes, open one eye, turn to the side, sit up on your bed or run out of bed. You're actually making choices every single moment. We think we're on autopilot, but we're really not. We're making that choice. So as long as you're making a choice, then you are living. And as long as you're living, you're free. So what changed? Well, you're, you're living, you're free, you're making a massive difference with the school that you've created, making an impact, giving back. And then you came back to the States and you, you kind of started again. Well, <laughs> when I read it, you, you start again. I'm like, that's another, that's a reinvention. I mean, you spent some time reinventing yourself when you moved in there and then you come back and you start again. You're so right. I came back when I was about 36, 37, and I had to come with no immigration status. I came back to the United States on a visitor's visa, even though I lived here first 19 years of my life, and really had to reinvent myself. I came from India to Houston with $200 in my pocket, no immigration status, so I couldn't work, basically. I had to leave my kids behind only because I didn't have any base. I had nothing. But the only thing I knew was that India was just not, I, we were all deteriorating there. It just was not working for anything and anybody. So yeah, you, again, it's that, you know, do you take one day at a time and then you start with what, you know. when I came back to Houston, what I knew was worldwide oil grew machine because I grew up in the business. I saw my dad since I was three years old, build the business from three people to where we are today. There was no way I could have started a, a dance company from scratch. I mean, I just had so many more, the phase of my life was, Two, you know, teenage kids, teenage daughters, figuring out a work permit for myself, figuring out my life for myself. Who am I? That big question. Who am I? And all of this. So I started with what I knew, which was WOM. And when I asked my, my dad, the, the founder of WOM, he's like, 
well, go figure it out. I'm like, well, what would you like me to do? I'm coming here to help. I'm a worker bee. I need to keep busy. That's, I know I have a sense of purpose in me. I can't just sit around and twiddle my thumbs. Well, go figure it out. So literally, I'm a people person, have always been. And that's sort of, you see how God puts all these different opportunities in front of your life, right? So I didn't know I was going to run a dance company. I thought I was going to be a professional Indian classical vocalist. All of a sudden, I'm running a dance company and I'm surrounded by people, continuous management of people. And then that shifted. I'm not a dancer anymore. I'm not a choreographer or a dance director anymore. Now, all this, I'm like, I don't even have my own business anymore. I had to shut all of it down. And now I'm in someone else's business trying to figure this out. Like, okay, so let's start with people. I know people. And then one thing led to the next, right? So I asked them, well, how can I help you? What are the gaps? Really understand more about the business because it had changed. Even Wong changed dramatically while I was away in India for like those 18 years. And then at age 40, I, when, you know, my personal life finally settled down, I said to myself, I need to know what I don't know. And I need to know it from the best. So at that point, living in Houston, I said, well, let me go ahead and apply to Rice University. And everybody criticized. And it was crazy. <laughs> They're like, well, you're 40 years old. Who goes to Rice? Who, goes, who gets their MBA at this age? You're supposed to, you have to take a whole GMAT again. Do you even know algebra? Why don't you just take care of your girls? You know, you're the daughter of the owner of this company. You don't even have to work. What is your problem? I said, oh my goodness, look at how the world is. The world is already putting these notions on me that I'm supposed to be entitled. I'm supposed to piggyback off of somebody else's credit, even though he's my dad. But what about me? What about the sense that I have earned a position or earned a, a level of earning or just to be proud of what skills and talents I may be given? So I said, you know what, world, you can say what you want to say, assume what you want to assume. I'm going for this. So by the time I was 42, got my MBA in finance from Rice. And from then, it's just been, you know, work, work and work, foundation, doing whatever my heart definitely calls. And that's another thing I'll tell you, Shilpi, is. People say, yes, you're free, but freedom comes with responsibility. Freedom comes with responsibility. And that freedom with responsibility, I am responsible to myself to make sure that I'm not encroaching on someone else's freedom, and I'm not allowing anyone else to encroach on my freedom. I have to be very aware of both. And that can be done respectfully, but freedom comes with responsibility. It does. It's not one that we think about a lot, but definitely it does. The world would say you had a right to be like, you know what, I've had to shut all this stuff down. I've had to leave my girls, come over to, to the U.S. and my dad owns a company. I deserve to just sit back and do nothing. Like I've had it tough. Like, so that wouldn't be begrudged by anyone. <laughs> like, you know what, it's, it's okay. Like, you've, you've, had it, you've had it rough. Enjoy some of that. And you chose... Not to, I mean, even, even that decision of leaving your girls behind for someone who I know loves their daughters and drives you a lot. I mean, like, I know that wouldn't have been an easy decision whatsoever to be able to make as well. No, one of my most painful decisions, painful decisions of my life. But I knew that I would be able to bring them back. That I knew. So why didn't you then feel, why didn't you feel entitled? What stopped you from feeling entitled? It's that self-awareness. It's that self-awareness of really who I am. What am I contributing? What is my purpose in life? I cannot be just someone, you know, following somebody because someone's made a trail. I believe everyone comes with a unique purpose and a unique destiny. And I knew that I had not fulfilled mine. I knew I, I I was on a path. 
that God had put all these trials and tests in front of my life so that I would be better and better and better. I always say this to Shopee. I'd like, man, whatever test I'm supposed to have, please bring it to me quickly. Like, <laughs> learn. Just, just get it over with. Whatever test it is, you know, the heartbreaks, the pains, the suffering, the frustrations, just bring it on, please. Like, tear me to pieces as quickly as you can so I can be rebuilt and I can keep moving. Literally, that's my philosophy. So, no, I'm not going to feel a sense of entitlement. I told you even before, I, I'm continuously evolving and I will continuously evolve. What has been your biggest test and the lesson that came out of it for you? Oh boy, the biggest test. <laughs> the biggest test for me was how to let go in a number of areas. So when I was born, I was born the eldest, I'm a girl. And I was always very, very conscious and told that I'm the eldest, but I'm the girl. So basically, you're not a boy. So culturally, you're kind of failed anyways. You can help, you can support all day long, but you know, you're not really going to have much other than that. All right. So that was one thing. And then that made me hold on to proving myself so hard, pleasing everybody, proving my worth, proving who I am. That was kind of how I drove, I drove my life. I wanted to be that perfect daughter. I wanted so badly to be that perfect daughter. And I wanted to make a mark. I wanted to mean something. So on these two levels, I'll tell you what happened during my kind of the seventh phase of my life, right? So seven letters to my daughter, seven phase. Spiritually, my spiritual search is still going on and on and on. And when I finally realized that I'm the daughter to my heavenly father, I was able to let go. I was able to let go of that search of somebody, some human being filling that void for me. I didn't have a void. I was already accepted. I was already loved. And my heavenly father had, has already loved me and accepted me. And guess what? My earthly father, earthly mother, all of these, we are all children at the end of the day. We are all children of God. You know, because of the relationship and the stereotypes, as children, we put all this pressure on parents. Well, you got to be this way and that way. Hold on a second. We have a Heavenly Father who takes care of all of that. We've got that. And the second part that I really realized was to let go in terms of just, you know, proving myself was this. Uh, my brother passed away in 2018. And that was the time when, for me, it was just all in work. Work, I mean, I had no other social life. It was just my kids and work, kids and work. And that was about it. And I took that upon myself as such a huge responsibility saying, if I don't do it, no one else is going to do it. And we've got responsibility for all these 3,000 families to feed, you know, my dad and all of this stuff. After he passed away, I realized this, I'm not going to be here forever. I'm not going to be here forever. And the only way to make sense of this great platform that, yes, my father created, I'm helping to grow, is to let go. I had to let go of thinking that I'm the only one who's going to make this work. So when my brother passed away, the first thing that I realized, like I mentioned to you, is that I'm not going to be here forever either. And if I want this to become a legacy, then I need to help build teams. I need to help share the vision that I have so that now this platform, which provides financial stability, emotional stability, family stability, all those things are vital for all the families that are going to come after me. But for that to happen... And for me to really sit down and think, what's in the best interest of people that will live after my life? I have to let go. 
So that was the biggest test for me. But I think I'm doing okay now. (laughs) (laughs) You are doing more than okay right now. You're doing more than okay. (laughs) Wow. It's a powerful lesson. It's a really powerful lesson. And even, like you said, even starting with actually my Heavenly Father's meeting who I am and leaning into that first puts such a different perspective on how you start to view life and views the circumstances around you. Did you ever think that that the way that you look at things, which is very different to, sounds like a lot of the, I want to call it the noise around you when you stepped into different, different situations. How have you managed to stay focused on that self-awareness piece, stay focused on your journey, and not let the noise overtake what you feel you've been called to do and that freedom that you consistently keep on stepping into. Because it can feel very lonely if you're constantly battling with other people and that can be family, that can be friends. So that can feel very lonely. So you already got that there and you're dealing with the new challenge you're taking on as well. That can easily just Depilitate someone and just keep them stuck in their tracks. So how do you keep on kind of pushing through that noise and that trajectory that you have? Beautiful questions, by the way. So I do have some, what I'm going to call daily routines that it definitely helps me to listen because I have to listen. Where does awareness come from? Awareness comes from listening, listening to that voice within you, listening to the environment around you, listening to how you're connecting how you are connecting with your environment, with your community. It all starts with listening. So one of the things that I have to bring into practice physically is actually sitting down in my quiet space and listen and make that sort of checkpoint. Well, okay, what is that inner voice telling me today? The first thing I do, Chopin, when I wake up, which is actually my favorite part of the day, by the way, is I ask God, it's like, what is my purpose today? What's my assignment for today? What's my assignment? And then I'll go into my quiet space and whatever she, that voice tells me, this is your assignment. This is your purpose of the day. And then I see, well, how is it connected to my community, my environment? How am I, am I listening to what's going on around me so that I can serve my best in that sense of purpose? When I listen to myself, I'm able to block out all the noise. And I am also ready to physically hear the noise, but not let it penetrate inside because it's like I'm building a shield within myself. But it's a permeable shield, right? Because it's also evolving. It's not like a hard and fast, oh, and arrogant, this is the way I'm going to do it, the my way or the highway. No, it's a permeable shield. But it keeps me protected. It keeps me on focus and point. It doesn't mean that I'm not distracted, by the way. I get, there, are, there are distractions. There definitely are. Uh, but you've got to hone in. You've got to hone in. And you've got to do it. I have to do it consciously. What happens when you don't? If you don't have that that reflection time in the morning just to, to hone in and do that, do your days look differently? Do you show up differently? Great question. So yes, I do. I'm a little bit more scattered than I would like. And because I'm so self-aware, I know exactly when I'm scattered. And at that point, I have to sort of say, okay, hold on, take a step back. Take a step back, Ronnie. You know where your brain is going, where your mind is going. And that's a probably... One of the beauties of having lived 
for 50 years, right? I'm not a 10-year-old or a 20-year-old anymore. I know what scattered feels like. I know what centered feels like. And if I know what balanced feels like, then I'm going to go, wait a second, I'm not feeling bad. Let Let me go back over there. One of, like I said, one of the treasures have lived on this planet for a while and not just being 10 years old. So I'm doing that. And um, I work out quite a bit too. So that's part of my morning morning routine is to get my body physically moving and active. But if I don't, and there are times when I'm scattered, for sure. But you know, there's always a way to come back. <laughs> Especially when you're, when you're consistently listening to your body, to your mind, your body is, but you know, you can hear yourself. And I think that's the, even that in itself is a discipline. Because a lot of times we don't listen to ourselves. We just <laughs> run in from A to B, just going and going and going. We don't slow down enough to actually hear. And therefore we miss the signs. If when people talk about burnout, a lot of times like this suddenly came up, like it didn't suddenly come up. The signs were there, but you have to take the time to slow down and listen to that. And for leaders in particular, I think it's a model that's important to be able to showcase to other people that you're leading of, this is, this is how I'm looking after myself. This is my morning routine. This is what happens when I don't do it. Because then it makes that conversation a lot more. Don't just like do as I say, and I'm not doing it myself. Back to authenticity. I'm actually living this. This is the reality for me. And, and therefore I can, I can talk about the benefits and how it can benefit you in your lives when we're talking about being able to create environments and cultures for our people where they also look after themselves as well. Because remember, it's all about that authenticity. If I'm balanced and centered, then I'm authentic. And I'm only powerful, only powerful when I'm authentic. And uh, and the basis of authenticity again and again, I say it, even as a multinational company leader, is love. Because when you know that love is all around you and within you, you know that somehow, somewhere, everything is being taken care of. It is. You're not the one in control. You're the one, you can be the one facilitating. You can be a great messenger, a person to hold someone's hand and all of that, but you're not the one in control. If you haven't already, can you please follow the podcast? It really helps us grow and it tells the apps that it's the podcast worth listening to, which the fact that you're listening to means that it is and other people need to know about it. In Apple Podcast, if you click the three dots in the top right of your app, Look for the follow button and click on it. And in Spotify, the follow button should be just below the show's artwork. Now let's get back into today's episode. As a leader in multinational company, what are some of the challenges that you've had to navigate when it comes to people and and cultures? Because there's no one-size-fits-all approach. So how have you been able to I want to say adapt and be flexible in your approach with different organizations, countries that you work in, businesses that you work with to ensure that you are tapping into how they want to be led as opposed to just giving you that one way. Awesome. Culture. Absolutely. Right. It's such an understated word. People don't understand it. Like, oh, just culture, whatever. Like, no, it's way beyond what I eat and what I wear. No, no, no. And the words I use. No, culture is such an ingrained fabric. All across the world. And I would say that's one of the challenges that I face on, on a daily basis, right? Because one culture may accept a certain way or a certain approach or, you know, have all of this um, 
uh, religious understanding of the culture also is greatly ingrained in the religious practices and daily rituals that a person may have. And you have to kind of understand where that is all coming from. But also is the age and the phase of a company life. Meaning this is that we're headquartered here in Houston, which means we're about 42 years of existence here in Houston. In India, it's about 38 years. In uh, the UK, it's 30 years. In Singapore, it's 25. And now I'm just developing Mexico and Brazil, which is hardly one year. Depending on the age of the company, there are different skill sets requirements that are expected from that team. And depending on that, me as a leader or even my leadership team will have to tweak how they speak, what they say, what are the targets, what are the expectations from a one-year-old company versus a 42-year-old company versus a 30-year-old company. And the way I was able to break this down and make some sense of this, I said, you know, we always talk about people have different needs at different phases of their life, right? So a one-year-old has different needs. A teenager has different needs, you know, at a 21-year-old, 40-year-old, my dad is 78 years old, 78-year-old, whatever. They all have different needs. Similar is with the company because a company is made up of people. If a company is made up of people, that means the same dynamics have to apply. It has to apply because great people make a great company. Awesome. The basis is people. Then ask myself, how many years does it really take in a company setting? How many years does it take from having an idea to really bringing it to fruition, right? Whether you're engineering, innovation, human resource processes, inventory management, whatever. Now, one idea takes about three years, three years to actually come to fruition and make its mark. That's just kind of like how it, how it goes in the corporate world. On an average, some things could happen faster or you know, slower, but on an average, it's three years. So I started to break down the years of our company and say, wait a second, 42-year-old company divided by three, that's like a 14-year-old person. A 14-year-old person as a teenager, what are my needs? What is my need? And I remember I've taught kids like forever since I was 17 years old. And then I had my formal dance company when I was 24. I've been around people of different ages and stages of their life. A 14-year-old person is in transition. They're looking for their identity. They have gone from, oh, well, this is the foundation that my parents laid with me. I know what's right and what's wrong, but now I want to discover more about myself. This is exactly where WOM is right now. And when I see this, that I, I call it, oh, mom is a teenager. Mom is literally sitting in between being a 14-year-old and a 16-year-old. It's saying, well, over the last 42 years of my lifespan, the founder has led with certain principles, foundations, what's right, wrong. This is our product. This is how we do things. Great. Understood. But now with the company growth and the way the, even the world around me is changing, I have to think about, well, what's my, how do I now incorporate the strengths of everything that we have to what we can be going forward, knowing that as in, later on a 21-year-old company or 21-year-old person, I'm going to be partnering. I'm going to be merging. I'm going to be acquiring. I'm going to now be partnering with other companies to actually start forming my own sort of family, if you will. So the whole mindset is that, going back to, I know it's a very long-winded answer, but this is how I see the company. I see them as a group of people. And therefore, whether they're cultural differences, expectations, I have to be very well aware of where these people are situated within this time frame of the company, within their geography, and then be able to read. 
It sounds very complex. Sometimes it can be. I don't have all the answers, like I said. But maybe if I can say one thing, and this has always led me. So there's my my favorite, favorite quote from uh, Winnie the Pooh. Great Zen master, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you think not. What comes from a fluffy bear? But I'll tell you. One of the quotes says that, don't walk behind me because I may not lead. Don't walk in front of me because I may not follow. But if you walk beside me, we can journey together. And really, that's how I look at everything, regardless of the challenges. I want to journey together with our people so that then they can take it forward. The intentionality of looking at it as a very complex way, I think is really important because complexity there means that actually it's, it's stepping into the unknown and it feeds really well with that quote, actually I'm stepping into the unknown, but I'm stepping into that unknown together and together we're going to figure it out. I'm, I'm not coming here right with all the answers. I don't need to know everything. But together we can actually go on that journey to figure out and that tailors that approach to that culture, to that space, rather than just having something that's, that's off the shelf. But I think a lot of times leaders also get anxious with that though, because leaders are, I need to have all the answers. But people are looking at me as, as the CEO, as, as the VP, whatever it's, I'm supposed to be the one in the know. So that uncertainty that comes with the approach you just described can hold people back in, in fear and anxiety and can sometimes lead to some unscrupulous behavior <laughs> that, that we see with a lot of leaders. So I guess I'm, I'm trying to find out how do you, someone who's doing that effectively and doing that really, really well as you're building out, how can you encourage other leaders to sharpen or build that muscle of walking in complexity, of walking alongside people, of being able to be like, I don't have all the answers and that's perfectly okay. I guess that's where this whole empathetic leadership style comes across, which I didn't even know what that was, but clearly people are coining it that way. So I'll say it that way. <laughs> <laughs> what that? Oh, like define it. Like, okay, let me try. I really believe in people, right? So I know that the people have the answers. Every person has the answer. As soon as they, anyone comes up, I mean, we see it in our daily lives. You're like, oh, well, I really don't like this way. I, I don't like something in this certain way. Then you're like, well, well, how would you want it? Like, well, I wish it was this way. Like, see, you've got the answer. You know what you want. But that's the reason why you don't want what you see. Okay, so if that's the case, as leaders, I have like what I call it, these four steps that I've been able to really identify now, right? Didn't have four steps before, by the way. This is like me really reflecting and saying, well, what is the process of being empathetic? And that's my leadership style, at least. So number one is listening. Number one has got to be listening. Listen, 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 which means that as a leader, again, you don't have all the answers, remember? And if you believe in your people, because if you're going to lead, you what's, what does leading mean? Leading means you've got other folks around you. So then listen. Listen to what they're saying. Listen to what they're not saying. Try and read in between the lines. Be observant and be aware of the body language. Be empathetic. Listen to where their background is, where they're coming from, how they're approaching things. Listen. Number one, that's your number one power. And it takes a lot for a lot of leaders because you're like, well, I have the answers. I have the vision. I know what's going on. Let me just tell you how it is. Oh, no, hold on. You're not the one who's going to pull this cart together. You need four wheels to pull a cart. Okay, so let's look for those four wheels. Not on your own. Number one is listen. Number two 
is bridge or connect. That's the empathy part. Connect. Come to that level of that person. Where are you? What are you trying to say? What is your frustration? How can I help you? Because you have the answers. Connect. I always say empathetic leadership is knowing that there's an equilibrium. Sympathy is sort of like, oh, there's somebody above and somebody below. Oh, I feel so sorry for you. Well, okay. No, empathy is I feel you. There's love in my heart that feels the love in your heart or the fear in your heart. What is love? Love is basically the absence of fear, right? And you do have fear. That means love is sort of a little bit on the side, sideburn, on, 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 the, on, the, on the sideways, sorry. So empathetic leadership is knowing that we're at an equilibrium. We are together in this. So second step is bridge or connect. The third is to inspire. We as leaders are supposed to inspire the person because the person has the answers. They have the approach. They have the personality. There may be some blockages. That's okay. But our job is to help remove those blockages. Help them think clearly so that they can feel confident. Inspire. We don't have all the answers, but we know how to inspire other people to find the answers. And the fourth one, like I've always said, to be a really effective leader is to let go. Let go. Because if you believe in your process, if you, if you believe that you're not the one in control, if you believe that the power of a company is in the power of the people, then you will let go and just watch it grow. Because the minute your people grow, the company grows. Simple math. Four powerful and practical steps, which, uh, <laughs> which, which I really like. I really like and definitely take on board. <laughs> Live your quotes. That's the name of the newsletter that you need to subscribe to. Go on www.everydayleadership.co.uk, subscribe to Live Your Quotes. It's a bi-weekly newsletter that comes out with a quote with some information on how I'm looking at that quote, how that relates to my life to make it more real and authentic and come alive for you. As well as bits and pieces, it might be books I'm reading, it might be some other content I'm tapping into and some bits and pieces around the podcast. It's a nice, short, succinct newsletter, which I know you're going to enjoy. But to enjoy it, you need to subscribe to it. So again, if you go to the podcast website, www.everydayleadershippodcast.co.uk, you'll be able to get access to Leave Your Quote newsletter. Now let's get back into the episode. You're talking about letting go, and I think back to what you said previously. You, as the founder's daughter, I'm sure you'll have had a number of times where people have been like, well, you must have had it easy. It's, it's your dad's company. That's why you've been to navigate to the space you've, you've navigated to. Yet you started right from, I'm going to say the, the bottom, and it said you start off in, in a particular department, HR, and navigate all the way through. But how have you been able to deal with all the, one, rising through the ranks and all the different comments you've had? To be able to get to where you got to? Mm, just keep going. There have been people that have even asked me, it's like, well, why are you here if you have so many challenges? Just go find another job. I'm like, yeah, probably I can find another job. I get that. But here's the, the reality is this. People are people. People are going to challenge me no matter where I go. I am going to be challenged wherever I go. So guess what? If I can figure out what that challenge is here in this organization, and make a positive impact, then I'm going to give it my best. Absolutely. So it's, I think it's that, that perspective that I, if I can use this platform and really build it for that better purpose, for that higher purpose to really make someone else's life easier, better, 
that drives me. And like I said, even before, if there's a challenge, I'm like, just bring it on. How tough can you be? I mean, I've been there. I've been underground, six feet underground. I've been there. All right. You want to push me down further? Push me down further. Because guess what? I have a higher power that's working in my life. Again, I say it very openly. I'm a God girl. I have such a higher power working in my life. He will find a way. He will find a way. Just like, you know, we see like all these heavy concrete pads. And out of nowhere, there's like this little little green leaf shooting out from the cracks. Somehow, I'll find a way. And it's part of my purpose. When did your, I'm going to say love, and your, when did you get clarity around your spiritual journey and your love for God? When, when did that come from? Ah, my spiritual journey. So uh, I was born a Hindu, right? In, in India, basically, you're born into a religion. And that Hinduism was meant to be more of a lifestyle. So, you know, I was kind of going with it. My, my, my mom specifically is still very traditional, very orthodox Hindu. So even, you know, growing up in the United States, in Houston, Texas, you know, we had to read scripture every day, all that stuff. So I was, I was taught morals and values and principles and respect and all of that from my childhood, but didn't really get the sense of why all of this, right? When I was six years old, I was in love with Krishna, not a boyfriend, Krishna. Okay, because he was all about unconditional love. So that just fascinated me. It wasn't about the other gods and goddesses of wealth and of, you know, fortune and of knowledge. I didn't care about any of that. I don't like whatever love. It just fascinated me. So one thing kind of led to the next in my more, you know, later adult life. Uh, I was like, you know, I need to, I need more. I need to expand more of this. So in my dance days, actually, I went back to the five elements of the earth going, okay, well, Wind, earth, fire, space, and water, they all have their own elements and power, which is all in me as a human being. I'm basically a little ball of earth. Created a whole dance style off of that. So really started tapping into my spirituality and understanding of the elements and how they react within me. But that wasn't enough. I thought I was a Buddhist. And then I was like, wait a second. The underlying philosophy of life cannot be that suffering is inevitable. Yes, it is. But that's not the only thing. It's got to be more than that. Went to being a Taoist. Go with the flow. Okay, I can go with the flow. This is pretty cool, right? And if I can go with the flow, it can be love. It can be whatever comes my way. But I was still in search of purpose. Like, where am I going? Where am I going? And that led me to when I finally left, actually, India. And I came to Houston, Texas, which is my home. And I was just like surfing through TV channels. And I had watched a few, you know, preachers while back in India. And it'd be like, Joel Osteen, Joyce Meyer, and Creflo Dollar. These are the three people that I'll <laughs> kind of watch them, right? And I would watch them even in my tough days because they would give me a really cool, you know, positive message. I'm like, read them. I'll, I'll listen to them. When I was in Houston and I was like, wait a second, that's Lakewood Church. That's Joel Osteen. I've been listening to him even in India. I've got to go. So it was that first Easter Sunday in 2008 when I went to church for the first time in my life. I had no idea what was going on. All I do know is that when I first entered that place, all I could do was cry. All I could do was cry. And then I wanted to learn more and more and more and more about it. It took me seven years, seven years to be able to say the name Jesus. I could not say the name because I felt like, oh my God, I'm betraying all these Indian gods and I'm a bad person and I can't do this. I'm betraying my family tradition and I'm supposed to be a good daughter. And it's like all these, you know, things in the back of your mind, that sense of freedom. And that spiritual 
as I started learning more about Jesus and journey, and I saw the similarities between Jesus and Krishna and that the work is finished, it's not just karma, but it's about unconditional love, everything started to make sense to me. I'm a logical person, right? I'm not just, don't just feed me something and say, oh, well, believe in it. No, I can't do that. I need to, my brain worked in a certain way. So logically, I was able to say, yeah, we are free. Jesus came and the work has been finished. This whole world definitely can be free if they accept that freedom, if they have to, they have to just get in it, understand it. And that's when I understood love. Long-winded answer, but this is when I understood love completely. In 2014. <laughs> this is one of the beauties I get having this podcast, listening to stories. <laughs> like that, which are for me are very, are very fascinating, the journeys that we go through. And it just shows how, how much there is to life when we choose to stay curious and lean in and lean into different things rather than close ourselves off to, because your, your examples, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm here something around love from six years old that's been important to you and that's been the journey and the search you've been you've been on it's like what is what is love when it comes to spirituality what's love when it comes to faith and when you found it you knew you knew what that was for you and that's amazing that's really really amazing and i knew the power of it even in a business because that's why i say people are like love and business guess what that's my power that's how i understand people that's how I have a vision because I'm thinking about the people and I'm thinking about myself as well. I'm not, you know, self-depleting to please a purpose. No, there's no self-depletion here. I did that my entire life. I depleted myself to fulfill somebody else's purpose. No, I am fulfilling myself while I fulfill someone, while I help to fulfill someone else's purpose. And that can only come from love. That's why on this, my on the podcast is called Lead Self, Lead Others Polarity. And it's exactly that because it's, 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 it's that dichotomy of both. It's a paradox where one flows into the other one and vice versa and how holding that balance, the more you, you get poured into, you pour into other people and it flows. That's, that's beautiful. Love that. How would you define leadership? Leadership happens on every level. Leadership is when you're driven for something which means that children lead, adults lead. It's not about a hierarchy or a structure or a business. You can lead in your family. You can lead wherever you are. Sometimes you just have to lead yourself. You don't even have to have people. It's about an inner drive. That's what leadership is. When that inner drive is with you, fulfilling you, and thinking of someone else, then you're leading any phase and stage of your life. What or who is your proudest achievement so far and, <laughs> and why? I always have a number of answers. Of course, my daughters, right? Just the way that they are running their lives and walking their own paths and achieving their own destinies. I talk about legacy all day long and they are really, literally legacy. My mom founded a school 20 years ago. I helped to to run it. My older daughter is now the managing director of that foundation, increasing that footprint. My younger daughter is now building bridges to help people communicate without bias, without judgment. I mean, that legacy itself is incredible. So in terms of who, absolutely my two daughters, 
But on a broader level, honestly, I can't put names. I just can't put names in my proudest achievement. I don't think that there's an achievement, but have I been able to impact a number of lives? And, and I know that from just their smile or the twinkle in their eye. Those are proud moments for me. Sometimes I don't even know who they are. This has been a very powerful, enjoyable, inspiring <laughs> conversation with you that could just keep on going. There's so many things that come to mind, but I just want to say like, thank you for sharing, like sharing your, your story, your journey. And the way you actually lead is, is different, but it's different in a good way. It's different in a way that's, that's needed. When you talk about love, talk about empathy, those are the qualities to walk alongside people as, as a leader, as a CEO. Those are key qualities that so many people are searching for in the organizations that they work with. And you'd be able to talk about that, not just talk about it, but showcase that in the life that you, you live. And the book that is coming out, when is the book coming out? When, when's the date? I want to put it out there. <laughs> my birthday. I <laughs> know it's actually my birthday, April 24th, 2023. Wow. Hey. See, April is a special month. I'm born in April as well. So that's what, that's what. <laughs> So yeah, April 23rd, I'm going to put, I'll put a pre-order, I'll put the links out in the show notes and everything else so people can, can even get a little excerpt of that or what's coming. But you've heard, you've heard any stories, some of it so far. So you can just imagine what those seven different chapters are going to be around as she goes further into her story. So definitely one series to look out for. But really appreciate your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure for having you. Thank you very much. And I'll leave the audience with this. Be playful, be powerful, and be purposeful. <laughs> way to finish. This is Everyday Leadership. I'll see you next week. Here's a quick preview of who we've got coming up in next week's episode. Make sure you're following the show so you don't miss out on this amazing guest. And oftentimes there's conflict when we engage across our differences. Like if we stand in that abundant love, I think so many things can be made possible.